that's my power up. Take care of yourself first. <laughs> Take care of your body first. And then when you're energized and happy and relaxed and not stressed out, you can come and do your work. It's blindingly fast, so much faster than if you just sat there for an hour freaking out about this thing. Hi, I'm Sean, and this is Boss Fight, a podcast about the real-life challenges we face and how we overcome them. Starting a new business is always a large undertaking. Starting one during a pandemic? Talk about turning up the difficulty level. When Marina started their business, they had taken every precaution. They had startup money, a generous runway of savings, and clients lined up. Short of a global pandemic, things should have been good, but some boss fights come when we least expect them, and they hit us in ways we could never have anticipated. Today, I'm talking with Marina Martinez-Bateman. How are you? I'm great. The sun is finally out, so I'm happy. Yeah, we've had a couple of uh, snowy days here in Portland, haven't we? Yeah, we had a terrible ice storm. And it just felt really, I honestly, I think it was worse than the smoke hell situation where we were indoors for two weeks over the summer because the air quality was toxic. Yeah, man, it's been quite a, well, I guess it's more than a year now. It's, <laughs> But uh, my wife did this great illustration where she said like, we're, we have this sort of like a uh, Russian doll, like nesting uh, problems where we've got this, mm-hmm. the pandemic, and then we've got, you know, a snowstorm, and then we've got power outages, and then we've got like, all the like personal problems that stem from that, you know? Yeah. Just like one thing on top of another. I do like to start the podcast out giving chance, people a chance to uh, get to know you a little bit uh, with a little segment I call Create a Character. Mm-hmm. If you had a character class uh, in real life, what do you think that would be? I think it would be Brawler. I mean, that's my favorite. I always love to like play the character that like runs into the middle and just bashes everyone or just shoots everyone until they're all dead. Like I don't do stealth. I'm not good at dodging. Like every time I build a character in a video game, my health and my armor is like (laughs) where I put all my stats. (laughs) I am not really a nuanced kind of person. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's just, and that's kind of how I tackle a lot of things in life too. Like if there's a problem, I just like, fling myself at it and hope that I am stronger than that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that, that definitely seems like it goes with your, your extroverted, you know, sensibilities. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just throw yourself straight into wherever the people are. Yeah. Whether, exactly. whether it's, whether it's talking or punching, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> needs to happen with these people, I'm going to be right there doing it. All right. And uh, what would your uh, special ability be? Oh my gosh. Charisma persuasion i'm just that's my like if i can't win people over by sheer force of will i try to just friendly my way into making them do the thing i want (laughs) all right yeah Um, on the flip side of that what do you think your uh your weakness would be (laughs) magic i mean my character's always weak to magic in the game or in the games i play and then also just like (sighs) when people are um disingenuous i do not get that at all like i'm really bad at that like i just always am like well if you say so that's probably true and so when people aren't being truthful like and this is especially true when people aren't being truthful with themselves so they come across as being like super honest because as far as they're concerned they're telling the truth that just bowls me over like i'm just really not good at 
any kind of stuff where like people are trying to like be manipulative or just not, not be truthful, which mm-hmm. it can work both ways. Sometimes it works in my favor because I have this like Mr. Magoo like ability to just like people will try to be manipulative and they'll say something like, oh, if you don't do this, then so-and-so is going to be mad. And I'll be like, oh, I don't want anyone to be mad at me. I'll go talk to the person you said would be mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, of course, they wanted me to not talk to that person Mm -hmm. and to just do what they wanted. Like, I remember when I had my first like big girl adult job, one of my jobs was answering the phone for my boss and salespeople would call and they would say, well, if you don't transfer the phone to your boss, he's going to be mad at me. And I would say, oh, okay. And I'd put them on hold. And then I'd go to my boss and I'd say, uh, this person said that if you, I don't transfer the phone to you, he's gonna, that you're going to be mad at me. Is that true? And actually a big company lost a contract because my boss was so mad that the person had lied. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. But if I can't, you know, combat kind of like disingenuity, is that a word? Disingenuity? Disingenuity? Anyway. I don't know. Ingenuous <laughs> behavior. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Anyway, if I can't do it with that, like I'm just totally shot. Like I just don't know how to handle it. <laughs> right. Yeah. As far as weaknesses go, that's, I can see how that could be taken advantage of, you know? Mm. Yeah. Overall, like, like you said, there, there, there can be some upsides to that too, you know? Yeah. I'm good. mostly a sucker for the like, oh, it's a, it's on its way, or I'm about to handle that, or I'm going to change that right away. Mm. And so then I'll wait, you know, I'll like say something to somebody like, Oh, Hey, I noticed that this is happening. This is a big problem. I was working at this organization before I started my own company. And there was just like a safety issue. And I was like, Hey, this is a safety issue. We shouldn't do it. Do this process like this. It's a safety issue. And people were like, or the people that were in charge of that issue were like, oh yeah, no, we're getting to it. We're going to change it right away. And it took actually like months. And then someone else who wasn't me figured out the safety issue in question and exploited it, which was really damaging. And I was like, but we've been talking about fixing this issue for months. Like what's been going on? Come to find out that person had no intention of fixing the issue. They were just saying that. So I wouldn't bring it up to anyone else so that they wouldn't get in trouble right. <laughs> for this issue. Um, so that's really when it just kind of beats, like I'm just like lost to it. Like I don't, <laughs> I'm not good at that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, like, I think a lot of times we want to be able to trust other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we wish you could just like take somebody at their word and assume that it's all going to work out for the best. So it feels weird calling that a weakness, but I definitely like, I, I agree with you. I mean, I see how that you just gave a great example of like how that can be taken advantage of in, in a not so great way. Yeah. And like, I'm looking back on it. It's like a savvier person would have just done their due diligence and done more work. Right. Like, cause that's also kind of like, there's also kind of a laziness in just believing what people say where I'm just like, okay, if you say so, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do my research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah which I've learned over the years to be better at researching, but I gotta be honest, it's like not my forte. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm like that too. I think a lot of times, not even just so much like taking people at their word, but like my first uh, inclination is generally to ask somebody like for advice on something instead of doing the research myself. Mm. So a lot of times I will say like, 
um, instead of like going in, I don't know, looking up some like documentation or something, I, I will go to somebody and say, hey, what is, you know, how do you do this thing? You know, and then I'm just like, I don't know. I feel bad about that because that's like I'm putting a little bit of the burden on somebody else and I'm just assuming that it's going to be quicker. But also it's like I could be getting worse information instead of getting it directly from the source, you know? Yeah, but I sometimes feel like I learn better when I just ask somebody who's done it before who mm-hmm. knows about a subject because I'll go online and I'll find a bunch of stuff and it's like, well, this is documentation on how this should operate. Like this is especially true with me and like software or like even games. Like I'll be playing a game and I'll be like on a hard level or like something will just not be working or like I can't, I am notoriously bad at figuring out inventory systems. It, they don't always make sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's easier for me to go find someone who's already been playing that game and be like, dude, why am I not getting this? Because if I go like read, like even if I read like a walkthrough or something, it doesn't always compute. Or the person writing the walkthrough will just be like, yeah, just go into your inventory system and equip your sword. And I'm like, I actually don't know how to do that. I need (laughs) actually a breakdown. Right, yeah. And there's like, so talking to someone really helps me like figure it out, especially if it's like tricky or just counterintuitive to me. Yeah, and then you get to ask like follow-up questions too, right? Yeah, and then also you get to commiserate because if this person's playing the game and they're also frustrated with the inventory system or they're having a great time mm-hmm. and they can be like, oh, no, 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 so many times I get obsessed with the inventory system. And then I talk to someone and they're like, yeah, no, don't ignore the inventory system. You don't even need that shit. <laughs> Go do this other thing instead. Yeah. I like talking to people better, but there's there's pluses and minuses. I've worked with people and know people who are like heavy researchers. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there will be things that they get that I miss because I just didn't read the manual. And then there are things that like I'll get that they miss because they only read the manual and didn't talk to a user. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely pros and cons to both. It's good. I think it's good to acknowledge that or like to understand where those are because you can still get the value of asking somebody, but then you can also understand that like, oh, maybe I should still look up the the research eventually, you know, to see if there's anything that I missed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Both are good. Both are good. Um, But yeah, my preferred, if I could just like hang out with a group of people who are smarter than me all the time and just randomly ask them questions and have them answer me, that's my preferred knowledge acquisition platform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, All right. So you, you, you talked about how in a lot of the games you play, you like to play as like a a brawler class or something. Uh, So what, what kinds of games do you generally play? I love the new RPGs. So my very favorite game of all time is Mass Effect 2. I love, yeah, I mean, who doesn't love that game? But like, I loved the Mass Effect series 1, 2, and 3. Andromeda, we don't talk about her. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved 1, 2, and 3 so, so much. I played them all three times, which is, I don't usually replay games. And those are big ones too. So that's quite, yeah. yeah, quite the time investment. They're hefty. And I just, I really like, I really honestly believe that Mass Effect trilogy should be taught as like a text to analyze in like college. It's just, it's so beautiful. And then of course, Dragon Age, another one that I love. So that's sort of like modern RPG and like adventure games. So Spider-Man, the one that came out, I think it was like 2018 PS4 Spider-Man. And then the new Miles Morales Spider-Man, those two games really got me through a lot of 2020. 
just playing them and just stuff like that. Like that's kind of my, my oeuvre. And then of course I play, what are they called? Like I have some friends who make like dating games. And so I'll play those like, um, virtual novel type things, right? Yeah, Yeah. 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 Like my friend Anna was a writer on arcade spirits. So I've played Arcade Spirits a couple times and then Dream Daddy, probably <laughs> one of my favorite dating sims ever. Yeah, I've heard of that one. That one's um, made by a lot of the people at Game Grumps. Is that right? Yeah, it's so funny. Like, it's so funny. It's engaging. Like, I was like, this game is basically a gimmick. It's a joke. Mm-hmm. But I, it's a joke that I love so much (laughs) that I can't help myself. Yeah. So I bought it just thinking like, okay, I'll buy it to be like, LOL, funny joke. And then I started playing it and I was like, oh my God, I love this game. Yeah. I think it's, it's amazing how much like even the most like gimmicky or like the weirdest premise for a game can be executed really well with like some really good writing or something, you know? Yeah, and it does. That game has really good writing. And then I tried to read the comics and I was like, the comics don't have as good of writing as the game did. Yeah, that's surprising because usually like people like to say that the games usually have worse writing than like other media, you know? Right? Yeah, I was I was surprised. But no, I genuinely, I know that game was like at this point very old, but I loved it so much. It's probably, that is the visual novel dating sim game that I compare all other visual novels and dating sims too. Mm, yeah. I don't know that I've ever gotten into like the dating sim games exactly, but uh, I have played a lot of like visual novels. I think it typically like the like puzzly ones a little bit more. Like I, I used mm-hmm. to really like the uh, the Phoenix Wright games, which are oh yeah, pre- pretty, pretty visual novel-y, like not very much dating, but. <laughs> yeah. And then um, the... Uh, Zero Escape series, I think that it's got the uh, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors, or something like that. Yeah. And then- so fun fact: my husband is the person who edited the English translation of that game. Really? Yeah, Ben Bateman. Oh wow! Wow, that's awesome. I have to <laughs> have to thank him for that. That uh, <laughs> I really, yeah, I really love that. And that was probably one of the first games that really got me into visual novels. And I mean, that game is very old, so I'm gonna like spoil a little bit here but there were like some moments in there were like totally blew my mind where like you, you kind of at first just play and think it's like a game with all these like you know branching story paths but then mm-hmm. you get to an, the end of one of the paths and then you start over again and then you realize like as you're playing it that some of these characters like remembered things that happened to them previously uh-huh so it's like you get to the end of, uh, of one of the endings and it's like a bad ending and you die or something and then you start over and you're like, oh, this is just the same game again. And I'll just make sure I make different choices so I don't die. But then you get to that point and your characters are like, oh, I remember dying or something weird like that. And it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is like. This is way deeper than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, honestly, him working on that game is what got me into visual novels. Because I kind of dismissed them in the past. You know, I had been like I actually was a reviewer for video games for a now defunct website I was like the Xbox reviewer so I was like I wasn't really into fighting games or like racing games but I played like a ton of like adventure games and and my sort of thought at the time was like oh yeah no visual novels they don't really have what I need like I want to shoot stuff and like conquer worlds and then he was working on 999 and just telling me about it and telling me about the story and telling me about all the different things that the story did 
And I realized like, wow, the visual novel medium is like, it's its own animal and it's so cool. And there's so much you can do with that structure that you can't do with like an adventure game. You can't do it with like a book. Like, right. Yeah. It's so awesome. And so, yeah, like I, I admit that I don't play visual novels that much because I do like explosions and action. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, no, I love, I do love a good visual novel. It's nice to like settle down with your laptop and a a nice visual novel. Yeah. Those make me happy. Yeah. So you, you talked a little bit about the Spider-Man games and how they kind of helped you get through some tough times. Mm -hmm. What was it about those games specifically? I think that like, that helped you with those difficult times. I think part of it is that, and this is going to sound like a bad thing, which is why I stopped playing the original Spider-Man in the before times when I had real stimulus. <laughs> <laughs> but the fighting in those, both of those Spider-Man games, Miles Morales does a little bit better than the 2018 Spider-Man. But the fighting is so repetitive. It's just, you're just mashing buttons basically, which, you know, I'm a pretty much a button mash player. Like I don't, again, have nuance, but like, it's so boring. You're just like swing, kick, swing, kick, swing, kick, swing, kick. And th- like all the missions, there's like five different missions that get like scrambled in terms of like saving civilians as Spider-Man. They're super boring. The map, I mean, it's like Manhattan, but it's not interesting Manhattan. It's like, (laughs) oh, this is a version of Manhattan that you can't do anything with. (laughs) But for some reason, and and again, Miles Morales improves on 2018 Spider-Man, all of those things. So I think by itself, I would have just played Miles Morales full the full way through, even if I like wasn't trapped inside. Mm -hmm. But the repetitiveness of that Spider-Man game, and then it's interspersed, both games, interspersed with a pretty decent story of Spider-Man overcoming not just big villains, but like personal struggles, especially the 2018 Spider-Man. Well, no, and Miles Morales too. It's like thinking about the people you love and, you know, there's a big plot element in both of those games of like, the people you love growing away from you or growing apart from you or like getting over tragedy and like wrestling with grief, like real grief. I mean, like both Spider-Man stories are filled with like a lot of like grief events. So it was just kind of like this repetitive motion of like fighting the same bad guys in the same way over and over again on a map that I'm fairly familiar with at this point. And then these like cutscenes, basically, <laughs> of like either Peter Parker or Miles Morales dealing with heavy shit, but then dealing with it and then getting over it and then going on to like save the city. And I think those two things in conjunction were like, it was like almost hypnotic, like the fighting was almost hypnotic because it's like, I could probably fight as Spider-Man now with one hand tied behind my back. <laughs> But like, yeah, it's, and then, you know, it also helps for me that like a lot of times when I see Miles Morales portrayed, people forget his Latinidad. They forget that he's Puerto Rican and I'm Mexican, not the same thing at all, but still having that hero playing as a hero that, you know, spoke Spanish and, you know, was enmeshed in like the sort of like 
Latino culture of Harlem, like all this stuff that was affirming to me and like a world that I felt like I couldn't deal with well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's lots to pick apart there, but um, <laughs> I've been working on um, writing a novel recently. And so I've been like taking in a lot of stuff about storytelling. And one thing I'd heard about storytelling that was interesting is like, just basically how important it is to keeping readers' attentions um, to have a sense of like progress for each of the characters. Mm. And I think it's really fascinating the way that that can tie into video games. It's like you mentioned, like both the Spider-Man games, like they, they are sort of working on making progress over, against their you know, personal obstacles, basically. But then that's also taken in, like in between those, you're also progressing as a character, like you're, you know, you're getting experience, you're leveling up abilities, you're getting you know, stronger. I think it's mm -hmm. really interesting the way that video games can kind of push that momentum. It's like you have this really like engaging story, but then even in between that, you feel like you're constantly making progress. And that's one of the things that kind of keeps you, you hooked in, you know? Yeah, it's like the feedback loop of you like getting, yeah, getting better as a character. And I think that's the thing actually that I really liked about the Spider-Man games this summer is it wasn't difficult at all. <laughs> the The fighting convention in Spider-Man is just not difficult at all. You don't, I mean, you can learn new moves, but you really don't have to. Mm -hmm. And, but there's still like you get new suits and you get new gadgets and you can change the way you look and like, it obviously progress in the story and stuff like that. But it's not, it was like during a time when everything felt so hard, fighting as Spider-Man was not only not hard, it was almost like boring in how easy it was. <laughs> yeah. And so <laughs> what wouldn't have appealed to me about the game and what didn't appeal to me about the game when I first started playing it was a huge bonus for me during COVID because it's like everything is so hard. I can just go and hit the square button over and over again and kill, you know, and not kill, but like defeat an entire platoon of enemies. And then Spider-Man learns something about himself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just really nice. It was nice to have that, like, it felt like progression because mm -hmm. yeah, the story is progressing, but I didn't actually have to learn anything new or like do anything different. Right. Which during a time when I was having to learn a lot of new things and do a lot of things differently, was really refreshing and just calmed me down and like helped me concentrate. Yeah. I just have had like a season of Spider-Man. I was like reading Spider-Man comics. I was reading a bunch of Spider-Man fan fiction. I was playing the Spider-Man games. I was, I watched the Spider-Man movies, but <laughs> <laughs> not the Tobey Maguire ones. I just can't, he's not my Spider-Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't really understand. It seems like the, uh, the internet consensus is like very nostalgic for him, but um, yeah, I'm not not the biggest fan either. I don't get it because like I grew up with the Spider-Man cartoon mm -hmm. on TV. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that was so good, right? And Spider-Man was so like quippy and smart, and like oh, he was great. Like I got DC Universe during the time that it had. Or no, this isn't DC Universe. It's actually on Marvel Unlimited. You can watch the old Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah, and I think, I think the old Spider-Man cartoons are on Disney Plus now. I'm not sure. I can't really remember. Are but... they? I know I was watching them the other night. I don't remember what I have. Marvel and Disney Plus. The movies aren't, but I'm pretty sure that some of the cartoons are. But I, I could be wrong. I know there's some weird licensing issues with Spider-Man, but 
Yeah, because he's owned by Sony and he's like lent to Marvel. Yeah. Marvel slash Disney at different times. I think Sony just has movie rights. So that's why I'm thinking that the cartoon might still be on Disney, but I uh, I don't know. I could be mixed they have up. movie rights. And then, of course, the game, because they made the Spider-Man game. Yeah. I used to know way more about this, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's very exciting on. stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves copyright and intellectual property law. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I wouldn't say I'm a big Spider-Man fan, but Spider-Man has been one of my consistently, like, favorite heroes since I was a little kid. So I care quite a bit about Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man, I think, was was my favorite superhero growing up too, and probably because of that cartoon, because it was so good. Yeah, it was really good. And he was just like really smart. He always had like a smart aleck line and, you know, your friendly neighborhood, Spider-Man, like that whole thing was great. And then the Tobey Maguire movies, you were just like, why is Spider... I mean, I understand why Spider-Man should be sad, but the thing is, he's not. <laughs> he, Spider-Man is not a sad character. Like, what are you doing, Tobey? Yeah. Like, it's his fault. But still, I was not a fan yeah. of the Spider-Man. I, I want to... Um, so we've been talking a little bit more about, like, maybe some of the, the recent games you got into. What was one of the first games that you got really into that, like, I guess, made you... I don't know, probably, like, set your your course for, like, playing video games in the future? Well, I would say that there were two games that really attracted my attention. And the first one was Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo. I didn't have a Nintendo. My grandparents did not believe in video games or cartoons. (laughs) So I was one of those children that watched CNN. And yet still look at how you turned out. Right. I'm delightful. (laughs) Despite their best efforts to turn me into a boring person. But yeah, no, I wasn't allowed to have video games. I wasn't allowed to like read comics or watch cartoons. So I think that's actually one of the reasons why I'm so into all of those things now as an adult (laughs) is because like if I had had a time and I don't know, maybe I just would have liked them more because I would have been more involved in cartoons and stuff. But my friend had Super Nintendo and we would play Mario all the time. And I just like loved that game. I loved the aesthetics of the game. Like, because I didn't play it very much, I was horrible at it. But one of the things I loved about Mario, which was different from like the fighting games that were on the Nintendo. And like, I think there was maybe like one racing game or something like that. There wasn't a lot available at the time. Mm -hmm. But with Mario, like you could be truly bad at Mario and still have an amazing time. And that was kind of what I really liked about. And then, of course, the whole world of Mario with like all the pipes and turtles and just the universe around him was like really cool and like shiny and beautiful. <laughs> and then, but I never really got good at Mario because I couldn't, I could only like take my turn when I was at his house, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, got older, grew up, went to college and met my now husband who worked at Best Buy and they had just come out. I think with a new Xbox, maybe, or maybe just the Xbox is getting old enough that he got first dibs on a Black Friday Xbox for super cheap. And we bought it and it came with a copy of Jet Set Radio Future. And I got obsessed with that game. I wouldn't stop playing it. All the music was so good at the time. The graphics were amazing. (laughs) The sort of like weird Japanese like 
world that we were working in, like the, the, that the setting was in was just so fascinating. And there were like different neighborhoods, um, that are, I guess, real, actually real neighborhoods of like Tokyo. And it was so fun. Um, what do you do in a Jet Set Radio Future just for the audiences? Uh, oh yeah. So Jet Set Radio Future is the second Jet Set Radio game. The first one came out for GameCube. Jet in Jet Set Radio Future, you are a member of a uh, rollerblading gang, <laughs> <laughs> and you go throughout the like really trendy neighborhoods of Tokyo, New Tokyo. It's not. It's set in the future, and you rollerblade like courses to get points, and you also graffiti things, almost always while rollerblading. So you sort of like the real skill of the game is that you are rollerblading past a surface and you have to like execute like a command to spray paint your gang's logo on a wall. My husband had the GameCube version and apparently that was like way more challenging, but the Xbox version was like only slightly challenging, which is, <laughs> that's my, that's, that's my how bad. you like your games. Yeah. That's how I enjoy games. <laughs> yeah. And then there was just a ton of like really like peppy Japanese techno pop um, that was really, really fun. The like views of the city were awesome and the courses were bananas. Like, I think there's one where maybe you go on like different freighters. I'm not sure. Like it was amazing. (laughs) And the plot of the game is that your rollerblading gang is the last, I think the last, this was a really long time ago. If I'm wrong, that's because I am remembering it wrong. But you were like the last radio, a rollerblading gang in Tokyo or the best or something. And you're like, not only were you fighting other rollerblading gangs, but more importantly, there was like a fascist governor that sent <laughs> these evil rollerbladers after you who wore all black and tried to like stop you from graffitiing things and rollerblading things. And if they got you, they would like <laughs> paralyze you or something. It was really weird. Um, but you were basically fighting against the fascist state. And then eventually the sort of like penultimate battle was for this independent radio station that was in the middle of Tokyo that the governor was trying to shut down free media. So <laughs> you like rollerbladed and uh, fought these guys. And I think you could uh, dispatch them by spray painting them. Wow, I didn't realize how uh, almost like timely and relevant that story is. Right, I didn't either. (laughs) But yeah, that was the deal is that the fascist state was trying to shut down free media and you rollerbladed your way to freedom. That's awesome. Yeah, or victory, I'm not sure which, but yeah. That's great, yeah. I can see, I see sort of the, the, the through line you know, to what you're, what you're playing now, although kind of like the common interest, cause like, it's also, you know, like the, like the car- kind of cartoony art style and stuff. Mm-hmm. The, I th- that game, I, it's, you're not really like, you're not really beating people up or whatever, but it's, it's still like very like action oriented, like throwing yourself like straight into things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That game was super, it was super actioning and all the action was around the rollerblading. It was kind of like a friendlier version of Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the game was just hard. Mm-hmm. It was never like it wasn't like I was like, if I want to be this frustrated with a skateboard, I could just like go outside with my actual skateboard. <laughs> like I don't feel <laughs> yeah, like break my hip or something. 
Right. Although that game did Tony Hawk's pro skater taught me how to Ollie. I didn't, I didn't know how to Ollie until I played that game. Yeah, that's about as far as my skateboarding got to. Yeah, I was, I was more like a functional skateboarder. Like I actually <laughs> used my skateboard to, to, get to move around places. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I had this, like, this was before longboards were really like a popular thing, but I had this really heavy, really old skateboard from the 1980s mm-hmm. that weighed about five pounds. So the idea that like just being able to get that thing to Ollie was like amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only trick I ever learned. Yeah. I didn't, ha- I never had very far to go as a kid. Like all my friends lived in the same neighborhood, so I didn't go very far, but they were all skateboarding and trying to learn tricks. And I usually tried to play along, but it <laughs> did not go so well. Yeah, I was, I grew up in LA. So all my friends were really far away from each other. Mm. So I would like skateboard and then take the bus and then skateboard again because Los Angeles trans- transit is just like a nightmare. It doesn't actually connect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is like Portland, Portland transit's pretty, pretty good. So I never felt like the, the need to. I want to jump into our, uh, our little boss fight segment here. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about, uh, your personal boss fight. Um, is there a difficult situation or struggle that you've been going through lately that you'd like to talk about? Well, yeah. I mean, A, we all have, Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my personal one happens to be related to COVID. So right after, at the end of 2019, I just realized that I wasn't happy where I was working anymore. I wanted something else. I wanted something different. And I quit my job. I just sort of like quit and decided to start my own business, which isn't weird for me. Like I've owned my own business on and off since like the later 90s. I've done a lot of work on like learning about business management and admin stuff. I've put myself in positions like always to like improve my business management knowledge. So quitting my full-time job and starting my own business is like probably one of the least risky moves I could make, even Mm -hmm. though most people would consider that to be pretty risky. And we were, you know, we set, set up pretty easily. We got our like legal business and everything starting on processes. We had space in a co-working space in the sort of inner east side in Portland, which is like really close to downtown and really close to everything. And we're starting to do prospecting for clients, um, had like a website up and running the whole nine and had spent, you know, I mean, maybe like 25% of our startup cash at that point on getting everything set up. And then of course the pandemic hit and every client we had, we lost every person in our pipeline was like, we can't, commit to having a contractor. Like we can't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a copywriting business and it was totally like just bonkers, you know, like every inch of income dried up in like a week's time. This is the first business I've ever started that I had enough money to set aside. I actually set aside initially four months of operating costs, which is a lot for me. Like I didn't grow up with, with, much privilege at all. I definitely don't have a kind of family that could like loan me money to start a business or anything like that, which the majority, the vast majority of business owners, that's how we are. Like most of us don't come from money. Most of us start our businesses because we see a need or we have a need. Like that's in general how entrepreneurship in America 
works by the numbers. It's just that when you're not in that community, you get taught that there's a certain type of person that starts a business, which is honestly bullshit. Mm -hmm. But it was the first time that I'd actually had startup capital. And so I was like, well, this is what startup capital is for. This kind of stuff. You know, you lose all your clients or something changes in the market drastically and you have to figure out how to deal with it. So I took, and you know, of course, then all, you know, everything got canceled. So we had these two vacations that we were going to take later on in the year that I'd already prepaid for stuff. So when those got canceled, I took that money and I put it into the startup capital pool. So then we had truly six months of operating. And basically we were supposed to run out of money June 1st. So from March 17th, when everything shut down in Oregon, to June 1st, I just did everything I could to figure out how to make enough money to live. <laughs> and we applied for COVID aid for businesses and we didn't get it because we didn't have a 2019 tax return. So we couldn't say that we lost money because we didn't have money to lose basically. <laughs> right. I just got on the phone and on email and LinkedIn and everything and just started contacting every single person that I'd ever worked with, not only to see what they were doing, like how they were keeping their heads above water, but to see if there was any way I could like work with them, if we could work together. Like I just reached out to every single person that I could think of. And a lot of people were in the same boat. The first like March, April, May was just a lot of like, we were all scrambling. We were all totally overtaxed. Very few of us were sleeping. It was just a lot of like panic. And then during those periods of time, like news would come out that there was a grant for business owners or something. And then within an hour, the money would be gone. Or it was just a lot of scrambling and scrambling. And then... Uh, the state announced that they were doing unemployment for business owners. And so I applied for that. And a bunch of people who were around me in the same like business community applied. And I never heard back from them. <laughs> I got a letter saying that I qualified and then nothing. And it was just, it just felt maddening. It was like grasping at straws. Every time I thought I would get some leverage, something would change. You know, every time someone would come out of the woodwork and say, I think I have a contract for you a week later, I'm sorry, we can't do that contract. We're going to put it on hold. It was like trying to climb up a landslide. Yeah. I had made some realizations at the end of 2019 with regard to my health, like mental and physical health, where I realized I was working a lot of hours and not only was I not being paid enough for those hours that I was working, I was also not doing good work. I had to confront the fact that when I was exhausting myself, trying to do everything and get everything done and be exceptional at my job, I was actually not being, I was doing the opposite. And when I first started this business, I had every intention of making a business where I could, I have chronic insomnia, but so I could have a schedule that was specific enough that I could like do the things I needed to do to make sure that my insomnia doesn't go off the rails. 
Mm -hmm. um, making sure that I could take breaks for meals and eat at a regular base, like on a regular schedule, making sure that when I have kids, I can take care of my kids. Like I'll be able to be available for them. All these things that I really wanted that I was like, not in an environment. Like I had to look at my old job and be like, I'm not in an environment to support any of this. And I really wanted to start this company in a new way. Cause my old companies, I had done a pretty traditional nine to five that of course turned into like nine to six and nine to seven and nine to eight and eight to eight. And like sometimes two in the morning. Cause I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. I really, really didn't want to do that again to myself with a startup. And it's totally counterintuitive to be like, I'm in the startup phase. I'm only going to work four hours a day. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to take at least a minimum of an hour for every single one of my meals. And I'm not going to work after a certain time or before a certain time. But I was like, if this business doesn't sustain my life in the way I want it to, then it will have failed, even if it does make money. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of all of this, with really no income coming in, contracts slipping through my fingers constantly, all of this aid being released, but then not being for me or being gone um, by the time I could try and get to it, getting told I qualified for unemployment, then not getting anything, <laughs> all of these things, I basically was like, I'm not, the world is like, basically, can we cuss on this show? I know I've yeah, said a couple of Yeah, shows. go ahead. The world is fucking me already hard enough. I'm not going to fuck myself by tying myself to this desk, by making myself stay up late. Like, I'm not going to do it. And at this point, no one is paying me anything. <laughs> so I'm going to do what I fucking want. All right. So I woke up after 1030 every morning I ate, I took an hour for breakfast. I took an hour for lunch. I took an hour for dinner. In the middle of the day, if I felt like it, I would just get up and go for a walk. I would take entire days off just to paint or play video games. I, for a period of time, especially when things were really, really, really bad and just doing what I could to try and like follow up on leads for a day was so exhausting because it was just month after month of trying and trying and trying to get anything to happen and not have anything happen. I just would only work four hours a day. I was like, if I work more than four hours a day, I'm just going to be more tired the next day because constant rejection <laughs> and constantly working for something that doesn't come to fruition is exhausting work. Mm -hmm. And I just let myself do only the work that I could and then stop and rest and try to rejuvenate. And if we hadn't had that startup money, I would have done things way differently. But because we did, I was able to just be like, this is what this money is for. This money is paying our bills and expenses while I try and find work. And I'm exhausting every single avenue. And, you know, eventually enough things just worked out that we pulled it up and we got some contracts and the startup money that was supposed to like run out in June lasted all the way to September, which is when we finally broke even. And we just had like, we had a 667% increase in our gross earnings from July to August. Wow. Yeah. And then we had another like significant jump from August to September and then another one 
actually October was pretty flat, but then in October and November, we made 80% of our income for the year. Wow. And I don't ever want to do that again. (laughs) (laughs) But also the way that I, like the way that I don't ever want to do that again is like, I don't ever want to be that like worried and concerned and all that, like holding that together and like getting us like across the finish line with like, you know, putting in RFP application or or, like uh, responses to requests from proposals, like hitting up all my friends, like asking them what they are doing, what they're needing. Like even when contracts came across our desk that I was like, this isn't ours. This should be somebody else's being a pass-through to be like, you should probably work with this person, not me, which was scary when we were not making enough money. But it paid off because I was like, I'm going to run this business the way I want the business to be run for its entire life. So that means like no cutting corners, no burning myself out, you know, no undercutting other contractors, uh, helping other people when I can, even though I'm in a negative position myself. Mm-hmm. But then also not burning myself out to, you know, be overly accommodating in situations where it's not going to pay off for me. Right. Yeah. Because if you can't build your business in the way that you want it to be run, like, how is there any proof that it's going to work, you know, the way that you want it to work? Like, I think a lot of people do make excuses at the beginning of that. They're like, it's okay to work 12 hour days when I'm first starting, because eventually I will be able to, you know, get that down. But yeah, like, if it requires 12 hour days to get your business going, like, Is there any guarantee that it's not always going to take 12 hour days to keep it running? Exactly. And I made that commitment also with paying people. I have um, an operations person that started working with me when we started ramping up and I was like, you get $50 an hour. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely not in a position to pay someone that. (laughs) Yeah. But I was like, if I can't pay people what they're worth, this business shouldn't exist. It just shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And I'm better going and working for someone else again while I figure out how to make it work, which is what I've done on and off. You know, I'll start a business. It doesn't work out or I want something different. I go into the world and try to figure out what I did wrong. And then I'm back. I start another business. This has kind of been my my lifelong vocation is just trying to make a business that makes money and doesn't ruin my life, basically. Like I'm not (laughs) violating my principles, the things I believe in. I'm not, you know, hurting people. I'm actually helping people. (laughs) Like I want a business where I can thrive and I want a business where everyone that I work with, either if they're on staff or their clients or their contractors, like I want them to thrive too. Because if that's not happening, then like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. It's not viable to me to work somewhere that benefits me, but hurts someone else. And that was the thing that drove me crazy about working for other people is because, you know, I would go work for these progressive companies and organizations that were like, we love everyone. And then I would find out like, Hey, we're doing something that's really not cool. And it would be like pulling teeth to get anyone to be like, Oh yeah, let's change that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Meanwhile, you know, if it's my business, at least I can change it and make commitments to operate in a certain way. Yeah. So that, I'm not doing harm to other people. On top of that, like we are making money. Like we righted the ship. We broke even in September. We made 
enough money to keep going. Mm-hmm. And when you're a small business owner, I think that's kind of like, that's it. Like, I think that, you know, when you look at the media or you look at like Instagram, especially right now with a lot of like Instagram influencers who are like quote unquote, small business owners, mm-hmm. there's this idea that like someday you'll be sipping my ties on a beach while millions of dollars just deposit themselves into your account. And maybe there's a way or a version of me or my life that would be like that. (laughs) But A, in 20 years, I haven't found it. And B, what actually is my version of like sipping Mai Tais on the beach is like, I'm just going to go into the house for lunch and be able to cook a good, healthy meal for me and my husband and then eat it together and chat. And then we're Mm going to take a walk in the sunshine And then I'm going to come back in my office and do some work and make some money. And then I'm going to go back inside. You know, there's this guy. Oh, I can't remember his name. But he says, there's no silver bullets, only lead bullets. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's absolutely true. And so comparing myself to like other people who I don't know, who own businesses, but have like really nice Instagram accounts doesn't help me. And it doesn't help anyone because... At the end of the day, like I have to feel like how this thing works on the inside. I can't compare myself to anybody else or what they do. Like that was another thing that was happening during this whole year when we were trying to launch and just failing and failing and failing. Not only were we in competition with businesses who were already established, they had gotten the PPP, they'd gotten the COVID aid. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do a lot of internal work writing and journaling and talking to my therapist, not to fall into this scarcity mindset of being jealous of them because it was so, it was so inviting to just get really fucking bitter Mm -hmm. and be like, well, jokes on me for starting a thing. Like, Oh, I'm an asshole for being the new guy. And like the little company, you know, this bigger company got more money and aid for me. And I, had to be like, nope, that's toxic thinking. That's not going to be the way we solve this problem. Not only the problem of COVID and money, but also the greater like equity and racial issues that we were confronting as well. And it's like, I have to believe in abundant universe. Mm -hmm. I believe in a scarce universe. Then I'm just repeating this capitalist lie that there's only so much and we have to kick each other down in order to get to it, which isn't true. Scarcity is not real. Yeah. So when another company that was bigger than me got aid, I um, consciously made the decision to reframe that for myself and think about all the people that they were continuing to employ because they got that aid thinking about the way that that money that they got for aid was going to go back into an economy that like badly needed the investment. And then also thinking about how that money was going to come back to me because eventually it's going to go into someone who's going to be a client of mine and they're going to have money to pay me because this other company had the COVID relief to pay their people and they bought things that they wanted from the people that ended up being my clients. And reframing that really helped me to not just completely lose it (laughs) Mm -hmm. in a world where it felt like there was just, I mean, it was absolute scarcity because, um, you know, you would be in a business association meeting or whatever, and somebody would say, hey, the Small Business Alliance has 
$1 million in small business funding, but you have to apply tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And you would log in at 10 a.m. and the website would be down. And then as soon as it came back up, the money would be gone. And, you know, realizing when to chase things that everybody was chasing and when to lay off. Because like, I think the first time I participated in one of those rushes for funding and just realized how unlikely it was mm-hmm. that we were going to get through, I just was like, okay, we're not doing that anymore. This isn't an avenue that's going to be successful for us. We're not going to try and go down that road. You know, I spent maybe half a day on the phone um, trying to get through to unemployment because it would just like you would dial it and it would just like be busy or like mm-hmm. hang up on you or it wouldn't get through. And then I was like, this unemployment would really help us, but I have no way of knowing if these hours are going to get me what I need. <laughs> so I'm just going to drop it. Right. So I didn't follow up with unemployment until actually things were going well for us <laughs> because I was just like, I got to figure out how we're going to get paid this week or next week or the week after that. And so I went and I did that and I told people, you know, I'll do, you know, like I called people who knew me and I said, you know who I am, you know what I do, which of those things could you use and how much can you afford to pay me for it? And we just started from there and I got some of my best clients that way. Because then as things picked up for them, they were able to kick me down more work or do a better rate or launch a bigger project that they had intended to launch, but then couldn't because of COVID. And we were already there in their ecosystem with their systems, with their workers, like with their staff, like we were already a part of that equation. And if we had used a bunch of that time instead to try and follow up with these governmental agencies that weren't really set up to to help someone like, you know, a business like mine that was really small and new, that probably wouldn't have been the case when things started picking back up again. So putting my faith in people and then just being really honest about what was going on with me and limiting my work hours so that when I did have a gig... I wasn't exhausted from trying to find work. I was ready to to do that job and like be good at it and like hit it out of the park. So yeah. those were the things that for sure saved us. Yeah. Wow. It's been so interesting <laughs> launching a podcast about people going through, you know, difficult times and personal struggles in a time where pretty much everybody is. And a lot of a lot of it is stemming from kind of the same thing, but I think it affects everybody in different ways. And like, I think especially if like, you know, not everyone is starting a business and not everyone started a business, you know, a few months before COVID hit. And it's, yeah, it's just really fascinating how, how different this one singular event, which is affecting everybody, but Mm. um, in, in totally different ways. Yeah. I mean, we all have different resources. Mm. And that was another thing I realized is like, when I started to get down on myself and feel like, oh yeah, I'm such a dumbass. I can't believe I started a business before, <laughs> right before, like, cause I literally, when I started my business, I was like, short of a global pandemic, nothing. <laughs> I literally yeah. said that. Yeah. Like, but yeah. Yeah. Who could have predicted that? You know? <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, unless the world turns into a Michael Crichton book, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And then it did. And I was like, well, okay, cool. Great. Yeah. I think that's the thing with plans is that you make these plans, 
you look at what you think is likely to happen, like the very worst case scenario you can possibly imagine. And you, you sort of like tall, like risk test your, your plan against that imaginary super worst case scenario. And then you're like, well, I feel confident that this thing is pretty bomb proof. And then you go forward and when something that's like the worst case scenario happens, or even when the worst case scenario or worse than that happens, hopefully the plan you've made is actually like even more bomb proof than you thought. And so far that's been a saving grace for me, which is that when I make a plan, I plan against the worst case scenario. And unfortunately, because the worst case scenario keeps happening, (laughs) um, I've learned that my plans are actually stronger than I give them credit for. Not because they're rigid, but in fact, because they're very flexible. Mm -hmm. When I plan for things, I plan for a lot of different eventualities. And I sort of think about ideas of like, well, if we make between this much money and this much money, this will sort of be our opportunity. If Mm -hmm. we lose between this much money and this much money, this will be our opportunity. If we find that we don't have any more of this, you know, capital, income, we have a lot of this, which for me was like friends and network. So I was able to look at like, what do I have available to me? And it's like, I have a strong internet connection. I have a full phone of contacts. Mm -hmm. I have a full LinkedIn. I have the abilities that I have developed and was born with, which is like friendliness and good communication skills. <laughs> and I can sort of make something with this stuff I have, even when the thing that I feel I truly need, which is money, isn't available. <laughs> you know, you always hear like, uh, was it uh, hope for the best plan for the worst, you know, and it's like you can't operate as if the worst is going to happen, but you do have to be prepared for it in some way. And um, yeah, yeah, it sounds like that's kind of the way you've taken your plans is like, if you expected the worst to happen, you probably wouldn't ever start a business. But if you start it hoping things will go better, but like knowing that if something bad happens, you you'll be ready for it, then, you know, then then you feel a little bit more secure in that. Yeah, that's and I think when I was younger, I would plan for the worst and then I would work as if the worst was happening. Mm-hmm. And I exhausted myself. Every right. time I started a business, I drove myself into the ground because that wasn't the case <laughs> anytime. Yeah. Like, and this time it's like, I feel really fortunate that I had all those previous businesses to basically mess it up and learn something because I finally kind of got that there's no version of a quote unquote good business that wears the people out that work there. And I already knew that part fairly well, but I kept forgetting that I'm a people. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I would say, no, 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 I don't, I don't wear my staff out. I don't wear the, the, I've always been that boss. That's like, you go home, you take lunch. No, no, no. Put this down, deal with it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then I stay until two o'clock in the morning. Like that was always the problem is that I was always super protective of everybody else's time and everybody else's value. And because of some honestly super toxic assumptions I made as a young person and growing up in my household, 
I was the one that put in the extra hours. I was the one that stayed overnight or weekends or whatever. If we had a shitty client, instead of being like, no, go to hell. I was the one that dealt with them. Mm -hmm. Like everyone else got to have a safe place and everyone else got to have a living wage. And I was always the one in my businesses that was like, I was this sad, sad turtle. This entire world sat on top of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, no, if there's one person in your business that's suffering from burnout, that's suffering from stress, that's not being treated well, especially if it's you as the business owner, your business is not doing what it's supposed to. It's not a successful business. Doesn't matter how much money is coming in the door. Exactly. I think you snuck them all in there, but um, I do like, (laughs) I like to talk about, um, to wrap things up with a a little power up, which is like a tool or a tactic that you use to get through some of these hard times. I think you talked a little bit about, you know, setting boundaries, things like that. Um, But if, if, if you can remember any of those and summarize them. Yeah, I actually, I've been wanting to write about this. You know, the Pomodoro method where you like do this really strict timer to like work and then have like a break and like all this stuff. That Pomodoro method really stresses me out. So I was going (laughs) to, I was going to try and push a new method. I'm going to call it the Martinez method where you look at when you need to be done with a task. If you're stressed out, you're tired, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You look at when you need to be done with the task and then you cut that time in half. So say I have an article due in an hour. I will fuck around and do nothing for half an hour. Like I'll go play video games. I'll take a walk, like take a nap, take a shower, like whatever. Mm -hmm. And then in the last half hour, I'll come back having been refreshed, like from doing what I wanted to do and like feeding my soul. And then I'll bang out that thing in 20 minutes and have 10 minutes to spare for before my deadline. So yeah, That's my power up is take care of yourself first, (laughs) take care of your body first. And then when you're energized and happy and relaxed and not stressed out, you can come and do your work. It's blindingly fast, so much faster than if you just sat there for an hour freaking out about this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's with the principle that like you're, you're going to fill however much time you have. So you might as well like make sure that you're feeling as good as you can and then just get it done. Exactly. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. The, the Martinez method. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, uh, thanks for, for joining me here. Um, I want to give you a chance to plug anything. Uh, where can people find you or connect with you? Yeah, I am the CEO of a communications and equity consulting firm called new coyote consulting. You can find us online at newcoyote.com. You can also find my personal website at Marina for Hire. That's all spelled out M A R I N A F O R H I R E dot com. That's where you'll find like blog posts of mine, my workshops, speaking things. Um, you'll get a link to uh, Boss Fight when Boss Fight is published on that website. So that's kind of where all things me live. Awesome. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. This is a really, really fun. Thanks for listening to Boss Fight. Please follow along on Instagram at Boss Fight Podcast, where you'll learn more about our guests and see artwork inspired by the show. Don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes automatically in your podcast player of choice. And remember, game over isn't the end. It's just another opportunity to get better.